Today is Sunday, December 26th, 2021. Today we are reading from the big book of AA, pages 50 through 52. Claire Kay will be our reader, followed by a 20 minute share by Victoria W. Go ahead, Claire. Thanks. In our personal stories, you will find a wide variation in the way each teller approaches and conceives of the power which is greater than himself. Whether we agree with a particular approach or conception seems to make little difference. Experience has taught us that these matters about which, for our purpose, we need not be worried. There are questions for each individual to settle for himself. On one proposition, however, these men and women are strikingly agreed. Every one of them has gained access to and believes in a power greater than himself. This power has in each case accomplished the miraculous, the humanly impossible. As a celebrated American statesman put it, let's look at the record. Here are thousands of men and women, worldly indeed. They flatly declare that since they have come to believe in a power greater than themselves, to take a certain attitude toward that power, and to do certain simple things, there has been a revolutionary change in their way of living and thinking. In the face of collapse and despair, in the face of total failure of their human resources, they found that a new power, peace, happiness, and sense of direction flowed into them. This happened soon after the wholeheartedly met a few simple requirements. Once confused and baffled by the seemingly futility of existence, they showed the underlying reason why they were making heavy going of life. Leaving aside the drink question, they tell why living was so unsatisfactory. They show how the change came over them. When many hundreds of people are able to say that the consciousness of the presence of God is today the most important fact of their lives, they present a powerful reason why one should have faith. This world of ours has made more material progress in the last century than in all millenniums which went before. Almost everyone knows the reason. Students of ancient history tell us that the intellect of men in those days was equal to the best of today. Yet in ancient times, material progress was painfully slow. The spirit of modern scientific inquiry, research and invention has almost unknown. In the realm of the material, men's minds were fettered by superstition, tradition, and all sorts of fixed ideas. Some of the contemporaries of Columbus thought a round, of earth, a round earth preposterous. Others came near putting Galileo to death for his astro astronomical, astronomical heresies. We asked ourselves this, are not some of us just as biased and unreasonable about the realm of the spirit as were the ancients about the realm of the material? Even in the present century, American newspapers were afraid to print an account of the Wright brothers for a successful flight at Kitty Hawk. Had not all efforts at flight failed before, did not Professor Langley's flying machine go to the bottom of the Potomac River? Was it not true that the best mathematical minds have proved man, proved man could never fly? Had not people said God had reserved this privilege to the birds? Only 30 years later, the conquest of the air was almost an old story and airplane travel was in full swing. But in most fields, our generation has witnessed complete liberation of our thinking. Show any longshoreman a Sunday supplement describing a proposal to explore the moon by means of a rocket, and he'll say, I bet they do it. Maybe not so long either. 
Is not our age characterized by the ease with which we discard old ideas for new, by the complete readiness with which we now throw away the theory or gadget which does not work for something new which does? Thank you so much, Claire, for reading. Now I'd like to introduce our speaker. Our speaker today is Victoria W. And I'm very excited to hear what she has to say today. And I'd like you all to give her a warm welcome. And Victoria, you're on. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for um, asking me and inviting me to do service here today. Um, I don't have a timer, but I do see the time that we're starting. So I'll try to keep a, an eye on that to be respectful of the format. Um, I am Victoria W. I am, by God's grace, a recover compulsive overeater and insulin manipulator. Um, I used to not identify myself that way. I thought, oh, you're just trying to be special. You're just trying to make yourself sound different. But um, I am diabetic. That is something that's not going to change no matter how successful, uh, successful um, <laughs> I am in following, you know, staying away from my alcoholic foods. Um, but when I was in the, the height of my disease, I was overdosing my insulin uh, because I found out it was a, an undo button. I would see my blood sugar climb to astronomical uh, rates. And I wasn't, you know, I wasn't purging. I wasn't over exercising, but I was manipulating my insulin as an undo button as a last resort. Um, and then I got the bright idea as a healthcare provider, no less thinking I'm smarter than everybody else. Um, what I know now is the disease that I would overdose it so that I would go low on purpose and need to eat a lot of sugar all at once to avoid serious complications and, you know, things that people die of. Um, and it's very hard for me to talk about now because in the moment I, I thought, yeah, I don't think this is crazy. Is this crazy? And I've learned now, if I have to ask myself if it's crazy, it's way, we're way past that point. Um, so I just want everybody to know that there's lots of different ways this disease can manifest, um, not just the ones that we might hear about. And if you have more questions about that, feel, feel free to reach out to me and I would love to share that experience. Um, I, oh, I guess I also forgot to say where I'm from. I first recovered in, in the Houston area um, with the pandemic. I've made a move recently to Miami, Florida and happy to um, start a recovery journey there as well. Um, so I see some of you are, are local there and it'd be great to make some friends through outreach. Um, it's really interesting is when, <laughs> you know, from what I was telling you, so there was once I went to a potluck with friends and I brought stuff that was for me. I ate all of that, including what was for other people to share. And then I ate all of the stuff that was not for me that I said that I swore I was not going to eat in such quantities that I had a panic attack, but from how high my blood sugar was, I went to the hospital that I worked at with my jacket and badge on, um, and tried to demand immediate treatment for, <laughs> because I was really important. And um, I didn't know that it was a panic attack. I thought I was going into a diabetic coma from, from all that I had eaten. Um, and the craziest part is that I didn't think that was unmanageable at all. I thought that that was like just another day in the life. And that was a full nine months before I, um, came to my first OA meeting when a therapist suggested, Hey, do you think maybe you have like an issue with food? And I, what I really thought was, uh, screw you. Um, I don't think so. I, but but then I was determined I'm going to go to this meeting to prove her wrong. I went, was pissed off that it was in a church basement. 
thought I've spent 18 years going to church four times a week and growing up in the Bible Belt. I really didn't want anything else to do with that. And then everybody starts talking and all I hear when they read the steps are God, 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 God. And I thought, oh my gosh, like get out of here. Can I get out of here? Is it too awkward to get out of here? Um, but I stayed and I heard the person speak that night, which was a sign, which was a gift from my higher power, um, who now I call God because it's just shorter than all the names that I want to, I want to attribute to that, to that power. Um, and that person who was speaking was a former atheist who had recovered in this program and had a relationship with a power greater than themselves. So this is a really special topic to me. And I'm hoping to share some of my experience and also my interpretation of this passage with you all today. Um, and of course, being you know in the disease and as self-centered as I possibly could, I loved this chapter, We Agnostics, and I used to call it Me Agnostic, because I thought, who cares about all the other people this is for? This is clearly the chapter I need to be reading. And I thought, I'll give it a shot. I didn't really want, what I really wanted to do was give it a shot, prove that there was no way it could possibly work for me, and then just go back about my business. Um, and I'm pleasantly surprised and grateful to tell you that's exactly the opposite of what happened. Um, I found myself in these words. Um, and I learned that what I was living, not only from an allergy of the body, you know, that wasn't the only thing that was causing me problems. It wasn't just the mental twist. It was a spiritual malady that was causing those two things to pop up as really severe symptoms of my illness. Um, like this disease, was setting up shop in my mind, but the real issue is with my soul. Um, and what I really love about the first part that we read today is that they tell us right away, you know, similar to how they talk about, um, you know, you know, what somebody's ideal sexual conduct and behavior should be later in the book, or, you know, what somebody's, um, plan for B with how often they are or are not around alcohol or a trigger food. They say these things are for each to decide of their own. We don't have, you know, we don't have one policy that everybody might must follow. And I love that here they say it doesn't, it doesn't even matter. It's not even like, oh, we don't agree with a particular approach. It just says like whether we agree with a particular approach literally makes so little difference. Um, it's really just something each person needs to answer for themselves, to settle for themselves. Um, and then what I like is they contrast that with, but there are some things that we've agreed on. And, and the one that they've really agreed on is that all these people, these men and women who have recovered, right? Each one of them's gained access to and believes in a power greater than himself. For me, I think an accessible higher power is so important. And I, I think everybody would agree with that. Like, I feel like if you ask somebody, should a higher power be accessible? I don't feel like there are a lot of people who would be like, no, why would you want that, right? I think most people kind of find that useful, but I don't hear it get talked a lot. I feel like people talk about the relationship with the higher power and believing in, which is definitely important, but I need to have access to my higher power. I can't just... Like I need to have it all the time. It's within me. And they tell us later, right? They tell us it's within me, but I have to be able to access it or what good does it do, right? Like if I'm used to trying to run on my own power and will and it's failing me, and then I say, okay, well, let me try to use power from this other power. Let's see if some power will flow into me. If I don't have access, if I don't have the key that unlocks the door, 
at all times, what am I going to do with that? Right. If it's, um, and I, a lot of times talk to my sponsees about, you know, when I come in in disease, it's like, I have this pipe between me and my higher power that's clogged and I have to do the work. I have to decide to clog it. Right. <laughs> like once I determine that that's the issue, which is step one and two, I have to decide to unclog it. I got to do the action steps to unclog the pipe. And then I've got to do maintenance to make sure that the power can still flow freely. Just, just like, you know, if, if you said, Hey, my sink is clogged, but I unclogged it 12 years ago, I'd be like, well, that can happen again. Right. Like you got to keep, you got to keep on top of it. Um, so when I think about power flowing freely, that is awesome. And it really talks, and it really talks and highlights the necess the necessity of having access to that power. Okay. Now, why am I saying that? Because people, a lot of times will be like, oh, I don't know what I want my higher power to be. Like maybe it could be um, the love I feel from my sponsor or the love I feel from the group or the people in the program. I'm not here to tell anybody that that's wrong, but I just would encourage people to reflect on how accessible is that for you personally at all times, right? So if I can only access the love that I feel in these rooms when I go to my meeting, then that's not accessible to me at all times. Um, and so I just feel like, you know, I would be remiss to leave out something um, that has made such a difference to me in realizing and highlighting how I need to have access to this power. Um, it needs to be something that I can um, have contact with whenever. Um, it doesn't have to be that I'm holding my big book. It doesn't have to be that I'm talking to my sponsor. It doesn't have to be that I'm in an actual OA meeting. Um, it's something that this relationship between me and my higher power has cultivated over time. And I know it's within me and wherever I go, there I am, but there it is also. Um, and I think about my prejudice against, you know, calling my higher power God that used to, that used to be present no longer. Um, I think about really this and where it talks about in the face of collapse and despair, in the face of total failure of your human resources. And I remember reading this and being like, oh, cut the drama, right? Like I'm very dramatic. And I was like turned, I was turned off by this thinking, oh my gosh, what a drama queen collapse and despair. But isn't that what I, the state I really had to be in to give myself over, right? Like I was, I didn't want to admit it. I still had pride in the way, but I was in despair. Um, I had a complete failure of my human resources that get, that opened me up, that made me willing to say, okay, am I willing to even consider that there could be a higher power out there that would help me recover from this seemingly hopeless state? And I was in such a bad, I was in such a bad state that if my sponsor had said, go to Michael's, spend a hundred dollars in Michael's, make an art shrine to Bozo the Clown in your closet, I would have said, this is crazy, but I'm going to do it so I can tell you how wrong you are. And then there would be part of me, that little flicker of hope going, okay, but maybe it'll work. And if it works, who cares? Who cares if it's crazy, right? Just like that commercial for, that they used to run on NFL Sundays, right? Like it's only crazy if it doesn't work. Um, and that's sort of how I approached this chapter in starting a relationship with my higher power. It was like, you know what, if this shit works, call me crazy. I'm totally fine with it. And, and it did at the time I felt lucky for me. It did lucky for me in terms of, I don't, I don't deserve this recovery. I haven't done anything special to deserve it, but it's also not a matter of luck. 
in the sense that I believe it's available to anybody if we follow these simple requirements, right? If we decide that we're gonna do this program and we follow the instructions correctly. Um, the other thing I really like about this is when they say, let's look at the record, because for me, so I'm a scientist, I'm a healthcare provider, and you know, I'm quick to believe trusted sources. This was a whole new, this was a whole new ball game for me. It was not something where I felt like, oh yeah, spiritual leaders, those are my trusted sources. You know, other people who are telling me that they received, you know, a spiritual awakening. I was very skeptical. I was very suspicious. And I thought, okay, I don't want to be living in hell from the food anymore, but I definitely don't want to turn into one of these woohoo people. And again, spoiler alert, I'm extremely woohoo now and I'm totally okay with it. <laughs> but um, it's, it's really interesting because when they say, let's look at the record, they're providing me data points. They're saying, yeah, we know, we know, we've also had people like you, we agnostics, right? Who felt like, eh, I don't know about this. I'm a little bit tentative here. Let's look at the record. There's all these people whose lives were in shambles, um, who were at the gates of death that, that have been pulled back from such. And they tell us in this book, in our meetings, on our phone calls, right? We share our experience, strength, and hope with others. There are hundreds of people able to say that this consciousness, right? Their realization that there's this power greater than themselves and how important that's been on their lives is so, so crucial to them. That provides a lot of data points. Every one of you who share your stories, every meeting I've been to, the first person I heard speak at a meeting who said, I was an atheist, I canceled my gastric bypass surgery because once I was willing to believe in a higher power, this program worked for me. That was an extremely powerful data point for me. Um, and then as I continue to immerse myself in this program, I get data points every single day. Um, and the scientist in me loves that, right? Because now if, if anybody was to say, oh, that's kind of, isn't that a little bit hocus pocusy? I would say, well, look, I've seen the record. I've seen the record. I've seen the, I've seen the change in myself, which is undeniable. I've seen it in others. And I'm continuously asking others and, and grateful to receive their experience, strength and hope as well. Um, and so I just like to point that out for anybody who's more science minded or more matter of fact that although this wasn't, you know, a control, a randomized control trial, right? <laughs> but there is a lot of data here. And there's also a lot of evidence that I felt compelled by when I see lots and lots of people telling me that this is the way that they found recovery and they found relief. And they felt themselves say, being able to say that their worst days now are better than the best days they had before. And um, that is something so poignant to me that always um, strikes me. And the other thing too, is that it also reminds me that now this is my message to give other people, right? It's my job to be a data point. It's not my job to, you know, promote myself. It's not my job to um, try to convince somebody who's not interested but it's my job to provide my story when asked in opportunities like this or on the phone with somebody and to say, this was my experience. I did not want this, but I decided to try it. I was so desperate. I thought, okay, I'll give it a try. And then it worked. Um, and it looks like I have about five minutes left. So there is another part of this that I, that I would love to get to. So I, I kind of think this this paragraph middle of 51 is pretty interesting, right? So they're like, 
they're like, yeah, the people in ancient times, they were very, um, they were very smart as well, but they were so hesitant to change. I, I don't know that we could attribute that as a sweeping statement, right? I think there's, we have to, like, for me, I'd say, I think, you know, over the course of history, there's been consistent progress and evolution and invention and things like that, but they do raise a good point, right? There was a lot of superstition, um, and tradition and other fixed ideas that it was hard for people to let go of, um, right? And so if I still believed that the earth was the center of the universe and that the sun revolved around that, um, if, if I lived at a time where I where that was considered fact, I could see why people were so real, um, resistant to Galileo saying, hey, actually, uh, this, you know, it's really the sun and we go around it, you know? <laughs> um, and that was a huge major, you know, not even, not just like news story that was breaking news, you know, all the time. And it was a religious trial and it was, it was a big freaking deal. But I had to ask myself like in retrospect, yeah, that seems crazy. Cause we know a lot more now. And so it's asking me, can I ask myself, am I being just as biased? Was I being just as biased about the spiritual world? Um, and I have to say I was right. Because nobody asked me to prove that my higher power exists before I started believing in it. Nobody asked me to do that. Nobody asked me to write a paper. Nobody asked me to do a science project. It's like, am I willing to believe that, right? And what did I have to let go to? I had to let go of my fixed idea that I knew best. I mean, it also reminds me that, you know, you know they say only 30 years later, the conquest of air travel um, was in full swing. Okay, so... It's funny because for a lot of us now, it's hard to remember a time where like airplanes didn't fly, right? <laughs> so, it, it, you know, where that didn't seem normal, where that didn't seem novel. But even think about things in, you know, in the last 10 years, there are people driving electric cars that have iPads in them. And this is, you know, it may not be considered within reach for everybody, but this is kind of normal. People are going to space for fun if they have enough money for it. Um, who thought we'd ever have a computer like almost all of us have a computer that can fit in our pocket and it's more powerful than what some of the space missions have have traveled on you know in terms of computing power that's pretty ridiculous if somebody asked me you know you know 50 years ago would you have thought that's possible um would you then have thought that your face by holding that screen to your face it would unlock your computer you know <laughs> like it's it really is pretty amazing when you think about it, these things that I accept as sort of like, yeah, that's just how things work. Um, but they tell us, you know, is not our age characterized by the ease which, which, with which we discard old ideas for new? And I think with my last couple of minutes, I want to hit on this because for me, a big part of my prejudice was the religiosity of my childhood and the God of my childhood. It wasn't something, I, I can't sit here and say that I you know, it was a huge problem in my life, but it just didn't fit with who I am. It just, I tried to make it work. It just didn't. It made me feel bad about myself. It made me feel like I wasn't good enough. And then somebody said, well, why don't you just, why don't you just choose a different God? And I thought, oh, what? That's definitely not what I had been told. <laughs> you know, that's definitely different from what I had been taught. Um, but I love this paragraph because think about it. So I was I was watching TV with my dad yesterday and they were showing this uh, they were showing this new phone, you know, making it look really sexy in this commercial and like how it's really slim and the photo, the camera's great. And I thought I might get one of those phones and sorry to make this so phone central. It's just what seems uh, apropos right now <laughs> for the for the metaphors. But 
I thought I might get one of those. My dad was like, well, is something wrong with your other one? I was like, well, it's kind of old, you know, it's not working. It's not as fast. It's not as reliable. It's not as, it's not as shiny. It's not as attractive for me to go to it all the time. He's like, well, is it broken? I'm like, well, I don't know, but is that, is that weird? There are, I told my dad, there are some people who get new phones every single time a new phone comes out. Does there have to be something wrong? You know? And, uh, I was thinking, you know, but who doesn't wait? You know, there's a lot of people who wait every October for that, you know, that drop that those big companies do for the big unveiling of what's the new technology and people stand in line for hours for it. And it's like, you know, if I can trade the most powerful computer that I've ever owned for another powerful computer, you know, one, you know, one year later or two years later, or for whatever reason, I don't even need a good reason, right? It could just be, eh, it's not my favorite anymore. Um, why can't I do that with something as important as a higher power that I, that I live, that I try to live my spiritual um, ideals in alignment with, right? Like I have a higher power. It seems to be working for me. I find that higher power grounded in nature and things that are beautiful and truth and honesty. Um, and I see those as values that will probably persist for a long time. But if one day I'm thinking, yeah, I'm not really having great access to this higher power anymore. And I may need to look at see, is there a different one? Is there another quality that I hadn't ascribed my higher power before that I'd like to add in now? Um, the coolest part about this program is like, you can totally do that. There's nothing that says you can't do that. You can just, it's really just, you know, choose your own adventure, choose your own conception, choose your own best friend to walk through life with. Um, there's really nothing else in life where they go, hey, what kind of job do you want? Do you just make up the job that you want? You can have it, you know, or just make up the house that you want. And you can have, like, it's so cool. This is way bigger than any of those material things to me now. And it's really cool that it's sort of just, you know, have it my way, um, but in a way that allows me to then, <laughs> then gratefully relieve me from the bondage of self, which I often need reminders for. And then to be able to put my um, energy towards being of service to others. And it looks like that's time. So I will pass. Um, and thank you everybody for letting me share again today.